are you guys? Are you, are, are you sure? Okay. My name is Ken, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church. And uh, I just want to start off and see who are the diehards, because uh, we're three weeks into this New Year's resolution stuff, and I, I want to see who, who's, still, who's still plugging away at it. You're, you're still good. Okay, there's two of us. <laughs> I think all the services combined, there's about 20 people that are still with their resolutions. That's, that's awesome. Well, well, for the two people who are here, let me, let me give you a word of encouragement. Psychologists tell us that it takes 21 days to break an old habit and begin a new one. And we're almost there. Okay, day 17, so we got just a couple more days. So if you just hang on just a couple more days, it's supposed to get easier. Okay, so, so I, let me encourage you, hang on. Why is it, though, that resolutions are so hard to keep? Why is that? I mean, they're, they're hard. I mean, losing weight, not easy. If it was, everyone would be doing it, right? Getting out of debt, those are all the hard ones. Why don't we make easy ones, right? Resolution, never go to the gym this year. I could keep that one. Sit on the couch at night, eat ice cream, and watch TV. I bet I wouldn't miss that one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mess that one up. But they're always hard. And so, yeah, they're, they're hard to keep. And so some people, they, they fall off. I know this, that there's two types of people when it comes to resolutions. And uh, maybe you can see which one you are. Uh, the first one is the dreamer. I happen to be in that category. I'm a dreamer. Dreamers get all excited at the beginning of the year. They're like, this year's going to be epic. This year's going to be the best ever because I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. I'm changing everything. And uh, we get a little bit too excited, right? You know, so I've never been to a gym, but I joined one. And I got a personal trainer. And uh, I went to the store, and I bought all this food that I couldn't pronounce, but it's supposed to be good for you, Right? Got apps on my phone. I got the, the Fitbit. I got it all. New gym shoes. I, I'm set. And you know, like, okay, that's good. You got 40 things that you're working on. You're juggling a lot. I mean, are you going to be able to keep it? The second type of person is the realist. And they're like, really? Really? You're going to do all that? And what I think is interesting is dreamers and realists always marry each other. You know, and you got one person like, yeah, we're going to do this. Another person's like, I don't know. Your track record's not that good. How about we pick one of the 40 things that you want to change about yourself and we work on that? Let me say this if you're a realist. Don't become a pessimist. Encourage the dreamer. We need all the help we can get. Or we're not going to stick with it because it's hard. Well, this is the time of year where a lot of people are thinking about, you know, what do I want to do? It's a new year. It can be a new you. I've heard that slogan. And, and I think that's a great idea. I, I have resolutions. I make resolutions. My motto is, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And so I have resolutions. I'm on a diet. Actually, I'm on two diets. I wasn't getting enough food on the first one, so I started a second one. <laughs> so I have one for my health. I have one spiritually. I have one for my relationships. I want to set goals, and if I don't reach all of them, at least I tried. But it's a win for me if I can get two or three or four of them done, because if I had not done anything, then I probably wouldn't reach any of my goals, right? And so this is the time of year where people are thinking about, how can I improve myself? 
I want to get slimmer. I want to get smarter. I want to get stronger. I want to get out of debt. You name it. I mean, all the different resolutions that you've made. And there's nothing wrong with those. But if you spend your entire life just making you a better version of you, a 2.0, then I believe it's a wasted of God's potential in your life. And so the question that many people ask this time of year is, what do I need to do to make me a better me? And we said, we think a better question is, what's broken in the world? And what has God broken you for? What is the thing that you see that breaks your heart? Last week, there's a couple of memorable quotes that I, that I want to I give. And maybe you want to take out your communication and write them down in case you didn't last week. But one of them was this. Whoever devotes themselves to themselves will have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. And we said that is the, the definition of really a wasted life. You get to the end of your life and you just have yourself to show for your life. And we want to encourage you and inspire you to, 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 to more than just that, to live for more than just being a better version of you. If you want to be a better you, then make a difference in someone else's life. Change their world. The second memorable quote was this. If you devote yourself to more than just yourself, then you'll have more than yourself to show for yourself. That is a great definition of the kind of life that I want to live. I want people to say, he's impacted my life. He made a difference in my life. He wasn't just about himself and, and making himself a better person. He actually helped others. And so he said, the better question to be asking ourselves this year is what's broken and what has God broken my heart for? If you have your communication cards, hopefully you've, you've taken them out and you're going to take down some thoughts or, or some ideas or, or take out even an outline. If I was going to outline the entire series just using one word, uh, one words for each, each weekend, the first one would be identify. We talked about identify what's broken. As you look at our world, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at our world and go, it's not as it should be. Things are not right in this world. Whether it's overseas or here, or even in your own world, things could be a lot better. There are things that are broken and things that are just not right. And so the first step is identifying that not burying our heads in the sand and saying, no, we're all good. We're not all good. So what is it that's broken? And what part of that brokenness has God burdened you for? Has broken your heart for that? You have to identify that. We use the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a guy that his brother came back from Jerusalem. And so he asked him, how are things going there? This is where we grew up. This is, this is where our nation, that's our identity that's where we're from. How's it going? He says, it's not going good. The temple hasn't been rebuilt because the walls haven't been rebuilt. Anytime we get started, people come in and they invade us and they just, they wreck the place again. And Nehemiah, the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter one that he wept. It broke his heart that his hometown was just a mess. And so he says, this is not right. I've got to do something. Last week, we talked about counting the cost. So if I was going to use one word, count. Count the cost. What is it going to take? What is it going to cost you 
to fix or be a part of the solution of what's broken in your world. You may not have to give up your job, but you might have to give up something. To put something on your plate, you might have to take something off your plate. So you might have to readjust your schedules. It may take that. You might not have to leave the country, but you will have to leave your comfort zone. You may not have to use all your resources to fund what what needs to be fixed, but you're going to have to use some of your resources. It's going to cost you something. So on your communication card, write down what is it that you think is broken and that breaks your heart. And then last week we asked you, write down what do you think it's going to cost to fix that? What are some of the things this is going to cost you personally to fix that? I think this weekend's teaching is critical. And it's not just because I'm teaching and not Pastor Sean. But what does it matter if you can identify something that's broken and you know what it will cost to fix it, but you do nothing? It doesn't do any good. So what we're talking about this week is we're talking about action. Identifying what's broken. Was it going to cost me to fix it? And I've got to take action. I can't just sit by and do nothing. So what actions do you need to take to make a difference? And that's what we're going to look at from the Bible today. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, James is talking about two types of people when it comes to taking action. And I want you to see which one you identify with. James chapter 2. James says this in in verse number 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that? You see, faith by itself, he says, isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead And he says, it's useless. So he said, there's two types of people when it comes to action. The first one is just the believer, the person who has faith. He believes all the right things. He knows all the right things. He's been to church. He's heard all the sermons. Been to Sunday school class. He knows the books of the Bible. You ask him a question, and he can probably find a verse that will answer the question but he never lives out his faith. He sees a person with no clothes. He sees a person with no food, and he does, God bless you. Well, great. What good is that? Does it help that guy at all? No. James says knowledge without action, it really is incomplete. It's the doer, the person who sees what's broken, and he actually does something about it. That's the person who's useful. You see, I have a tendency sometimes to substitute belief for action. 
knowing all the right stuff, being able to say all the right stuff. I don't struggle with that. I struggle with doing what I say I believe. I'm comfortable with, with knowing and not so comfortable with, with doing. People like that are quick to make a point, but they're slow to make a difference. And we all know people who call themselves Christian. They're quick to make a point. This is what's broken in your life. This is what you need to do. Here's a Bible verse to help you with that. But they don't make a difference. So I struggle with not knowing. I know what the Bible says. I know what's right from wrong. I struggle with always doing what I know to be right. Do you? I do. I'm not one that likes to share on Facebook and like things on Facebook, and especially of a religious nature. I, I just don't. It's something in me is like, eh. Because I feel like there's a lot of people who, they come to church and they share on Facebook, you know, like this, like this and, and that's all they do. And like, okay, I'm set. Everyone knows I'm a Christian now because I went to church and I shared this religious saying on Facebook. And I, I just don't want to, I don't want to be that person. And especially if you say, share this or you don't love Jesus. I'm like, no, I'm not. And I do love Jesus. But as I was studying this week, I came across this on Facebook and I'm like, because it's what I'm talking about this weekend, I'm going to share it because it's exactly the point that I'm trying to make right here. This is what it says. It doesn't matter if you can quote the Bible. If you live like you've never opened the Bible. Who cares what you know if you don't live what you know? I think one of the biggest criticisms that I hear from people who are disconnected from God about those who claim to be followers of God is that they don't live any different. They say they believe. They say they know. I don't see any difference in their life. I don't want to be that person. And we think because it's been three weeks into this new year and we've not missed a Sunday, God's up, up in heaven high-fiving angels over our perfect attendance. He doesn't care how religious you think you are. That's, that's not his point in giving you the gifts and abilities and the resources that he's given to you so that you use them on yourself. He's not impressed. Paul will echo this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is what Paul says about people who think, I'm just religious and that's good enough. Look what he says. If you had the gift of prophecy and you understood all of God's secret plans and you possessed all knowledge, and if you had such faith that you could move mountains, that is a very spiritually deep Christian but you don't love others? What does it say? Good for nothing. It's useless. So you're measuring your devotion to God by, hey, I read my Bible today. I actually read an entire chapter. I'm a devoted Christian. 
Three weeks, I haven't missed. I'm a devoted Christian. I sing all the worship songs. I even raise my hand. I'm a devoted Christian. And we measure our devotion to God by what we get. And reading your Bible is important. I'm not saying don't read your Bible. I'm not saying you don't have to come to church. You should come to church. You should want to come to church. But that is as far as your Christianity goes. It doesn't mean anything to anybody else but you. James and Paul would say it's sort of useless except for you. We need to measure our devotion by what we do for others. Not just what we do for ourselves. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 13 and verse number 35. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my follower. It doesn't say how much Bible you can quote will prove that you're a follower of mine. And I think a lot of Christians are that way. It's like, hey man, I got a verse for everything. You'll know I'm spiritual. I'm super spiritual. He doesn't say that. It doesn't say your attendance. It doesn't say how long you've prayed. He says it's your love for others, not yourself, for others that will demonstrate, that will prove there's evidence that you are my follower. That word love is agape. It's God's love. It's love that's action. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. God didn't just say, man, this world's broken. These humans have screwed everything up. Stinks to be them. And to fix it, I would have to send my son, and he would have to die on the cross. So I'm not going to do it. If that was the case, we would still be in our sin and without hope. Because he knew the brokenness, he knew the cost of fixing the brokenness, but he did nothing. But God didn't do that. He saw our brokenness. He knew exactly what it would take to fix our brokenness, our sin, which is selfishness towards uh, each other and disobedience to God. And he sent his son to pay for our disobedience, and our selfishness. God was a doer, not just a believer. Jesus was traveling one day, and a religious person came up to him and said, Rabbi, I want to know what do you say we have to do to inherit eternal life? How do we know we're all set? He says, well, you're, you're Jewish, you're religious. What do the Hebrew scriptures say? What do they tell you? And I can just see this guy going, hey, I've been to Hebrew school. I know what they say. Let me tell you what the Hebrew scripture says. And I can see him, you know when you, you know when you know the answer, that confidence that you get? It's like, yeah, I know this. Let me tell you. So I can see him going, the Bible says, the Hebrew scripture says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. I can see him really getting into it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that good, Jesus? And Jesus says, you are awesome. That is the right answer. Now go do that. What? Yeah, go do that. 
uh, love the Lord your God with, no, no, no. Go do that. <coughs> it's not enough that you know what the Bible says. Go do it. And so he's like, oh, man, I wasn't expecting that. So uh, how do I get out of this? Okay, who's my neighbor? I got him there. Because he doesn't know where I live. He doesn't know my neighbor, Frank. Who's my neighbor? He wasn't asking for more information. He was asking for justification. He wanted to justify the way that he was living and not loving others. So as long as he was ignorant of who his neighbor was, he didn't have to love them. And Jesus said, let me tell you another story. Since you're Jewish, there was a Jewish man that was traveling from Jericho down to Jerusalem. And on his way there, he got jumped. That's in the Bible. He got jumped. And the people who jumped him, they beat him up. They took off his clothes. They took all of his money. And they left him there half dead. Now, as it was, someone came down the road, and it happened to be a priest. Now, imagine you're the person who was jumped, and you're laying there, and you're Jewish, and you're like, oh, a religious, a religious person. I'm Jewish. He's Jewish, and he's religious. What would you think? Thank you, God. Thank you for helping me. But Jesus begin, continues his story, and he says, well, what happened was the priest came by, and he saw the guy, that awkward moment where your eyes lock eyes with the person who's, like, asking for money. You're like, oh, don't look, don't look, don't look. Did he see me? And Jesus said he just kept walking. And I can imagine in the crowd, they're going, that doesn't seem right. I mean, he's a priest. He's religious. Okay, maybe he was busy. I mean, he's going to Jerusalem. Maybe he had church service to attend. So let's give him a pass. Then Jesus says, well, then there was a second guy that came. He wasn't a priest, but he helped out in the temple. He was an assistant. And again, if you were that guy laying there, you're like, great. The priest, he was just too busy. Here's an assistant. That's what assistants do. They help. And so he was expecting, again, this guy's going to help me. And Jesus says, not only did he see the guy, but he walked over to him. Now, now you're the guy going, oh, great. He, not only did he see me, but he's walking over to me. Thank you, God. Thank you that you provided help. And Jesus said he walked over, stood over him, and looked at him. But he continued walking. I can imagine the crowd that's listening to this story going, so what's your point? I don't understand the story here. Who's going to help this guy? Jesus said, glad you asked, because there's a third guy that walked by, and he was a Samaritan. Now, if you know, the Jewish people and the Samaritans didn't get along because Jew, the Samaritans were half Jewish, and the Jews are like, you're not full-blooded Jew. You're, you're, you're really not. You're, be, you're beneath us. And so you can imagine the man's laying there. The priest has walked by. The assistants walked by, and now here comes this Samaritan. Great. What is he going to do, kick me? He's my enemy. And the Bible says, Jesus is telling the story, he says, he walked over, picked the man up, put him on his donkey, and then took him to a place where he would get help. And then Jesus asked this question in, in Luke chapter 10 and verse 36. So which of these three would you say was a neighbor 
to the person who was jumped. Ooh. The man had to reply, it was the one that showed him mercy. And Jesus said, again, you're right. You know that. That's awesome. You, go, you can check the box. The answer is correct. He didn't say that, did he? He said, okay, go and do the same. Jesus is not impressed with how much information you know about the Bible. He's impressed by the transformation that the Bible makes in your life. The first two guys were spectators. They came, they saw, and didn't do anything. They saw the brokenness. It wasn't like they walked by and didn't see him. They both saw him. The third person was an imitator. He was more like God than the other two religious people. And so my question is this. Are you a spectator or are you an imitator? The church doesn't need any more spectators. We don't. We don't need people who will sit here and say, that's broken. Somebody should do something about that. We need people who will be imitators of Christ. People who will step into that brokenness and they will do something. Now, we have our reasons why we don't. I've heard this one. It's very religious. I'm waiting on God. I would, but I'm just waiting on a word from God. As soon as God says something, then I'm, 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 I'm all in. I'm, I'm there. Come on. You're not waiting on God. God's waiting on you. God came to Haggai one day and said, hey, I need you to go talk to the people because uh, I've noticed something. They're building their huge mansions, but my house, the temple, is not being built. Go ask them why. So Haggai goes to the people and says, uh, why are you guys building your houses, but no one's building the house of the Lord? And essentially they said, well, we're waiting on God to tell us to start. God goes, interesting. You need a word from me to start building my house but I didn't give you any word at all to build your house. And isn't that how we are? I didn't need a word from God today to have breakfast. But I need a word from God to help somebody who doesn't have food. Didn't need a word from God to get dressed this morning. But I need God to write something in the sky to say, hey, help this person who doesn't have clothes doesn't have a place to live. I need a word from God? No. Why do we assume a passive role unless God speaks? What if we changed it and we lived this way, that we assume we're supposed to act unless God says something different? Instead of waiting for God to say something and then acting, we'd live a lot differently, wouldn't we? I'm just waiting I'm assuming a passive role in this until I hear God's voice. God has spoken. That's why your heart's broken. Right? He's already told you to go be his hands, be his feet, be his presence in your community. He showed that he fixed things. He showed that he loved people. 
And he's called you to be an imitator, not a spectator. You're not waiting on God. He's waiting on you. This is a question I've asked myself, the second one. What can one person do? Really, God, what can I do? Do you know how many hungry people are in Boston? Do you know how many homeless people are in Boston? Do you know how many kids need foster care in Boston? How many kids need to be adopted? I'm just me. I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. I know my bank account. I can't, I can't feed all these people. So what can I do? I'm one person. God says, okay, that's a question. But that's not the best question that you can ask. A better question is, what can God do through one person? That's a better question. So Nehemiah, he's broken over what's taking place in Jerusalem. He actually goes to the king and says, hey, I need some time off. This is counting the cost. He knows if he asks the king for time off, that the king could kill him. The king could say, no, you're too valuable. Did you know what he did? He was the king's cupbearer. Now, that's a sweet gig. What do you do for a living? I test the king's food. And king, tonight, the filet mignon is wonderful. I actually tried it twice, just for your safety. And the wine is delightful. You'll really enjoy this meal. I mean, that is, a, I mean, I couldn't think of a better gig. Unless the king wasn't well-liked, then that could be a tough job. He might have gone through a lot of cupbearers. But I don't imagine Nehemiah having calluses on his hands from hard work. But now God's asking him to build a wall so the temple could be built? But he did. Look what it says in Nehemiah chapter 6. It says, so on October the 2nd, the wall was finished. How many days? How many days did it take him to build that wall? 52 days. And when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They had realized that the work had been done by this awesome and wonderful and talented and gifted Nehemiah. That's not what it says. It had been done by God. God used Nehemiah, who probably hadn't built anything in his life, to build this incredible wall that secured the, uh, the city of Jerusalem so that they could build a temple. That wall was four and a half miles around the city of Jerusalem. It was 40 feet high and 16 feet thick. And they did that in 52 days. That's what God can do through one person. Now, Nehemiah had help. He didn't do it himself. But his skill set was he was able to rally people around him. He was able to organize. And if you read Nehemiah chapter 2, chapter 4, 5, and 6, you'll see all that they did. Chapter 3, the reason I skipped that is chapter 3 just names all these names that you can't pronounce of the people who worked on the wall. This guy did this. This guy did this. this. There are hundreds of people that helped build that wall. But you see how he did it and how they accomplished it. Even halfway through, the Bible says they got halfway through and then Sanballat comes and he wants to attack them. Let me tell you, you start doing something for God, you're going to be attacked. You're going to run into roadblocks. Are you going to quit? 
going to give up? This is too hard? Nehemiah didn't. He says, we worked with one hand, and with the other hand, we held our sword. They worked with one arm and still got the wall built in 52 days. That's incredible. You see, it's doing, not simply knowing, that's going to make a difference. It's your action that's going to bring about a solution to your resolution. Without action, there is no solution. Everything stays the same. If nothing changes, then nothing changes. Said another way, put some motion in your devotion. God, I'm passionate about this. Great. What are you doing about it? So Pastor Sean talked about middle schoolers. You've, you're, you're, you're broken over that somebody in your school is picked on and no one likes them. They sit alone at the lunch table. Go sit by them then. That's a great first step. Go sit by them. You got a neighbor in your apartment complex that no one likes, they're annoying. Go knock on their door. Hey, Pete, you're playing next week. Come over and watch the game. Come watch them win the Super Bowl. Right? Have some faith. <laughs> Maybe you're broken over how many kids in Boston have no home. Well, call family services. Find out what do I have to do to be a foster parent? What do I have to do to be someone who adopts? Talk to somebody that you know that's gone through the process. Do something. If you do nothing, then nothing changes. And the longer you wait, the easier it is to do nothing. When the alarm goes off at 5 o'clock, and if I hit the snooze and don't get out of bed, I won't go to the gym. And then the next day, it's easier to hit the snooze. And, this, and again, and again, and again. And then I'm only left with sitting on the couch eating ice cream for a resolution. The more you delay, the less likely it is that you're going to make a difference. If res, one of your resolutions this year was to get more connected and grow in your faith at Grace Church... I want you to take out the life group card. I want you to look at it. We're telling you the best way to connect and grow here at Grace Church is through life groups. Analogy that I'll use is this. You ever been to a very large family reunion? I'm talking like hundreds of people. And you're like, I know we're all related, but I don't know anybody. I mean, I'm talking third and fourth and fifth cousins. You know, I don't know these people, but I know we're related somehow. Our church can sort of feel like that. A lot of people. I know we're all Grace Church family, but I don't know these people. Life groups are more like your immediate family. These are the people that know you. These are the people that really, really care about you. These are the people that are going to help you when you get jammed up. And so if you want to get connected, why wait? Why keep putting it off? If you put it off, you won't do it. And in 2016, you'll be just as disconnected as you were in 2015. Just do it. Nike stole that from God, just so you know. Just do it. Take action. Can you bow your heads with me?
it's not enough to know what's broken in this world. Everyone can see the brokenness. It's not enough to even have calculated what it would cost you to step into a situation and help somebody. The difference will be made when you, when you act. And so my question is, what is it that you need to do? You don't need to wait on God. He's already broken your heart. So he's already spoken to you. So ask God right now, God, help me, motivate me, challenge me to take action this week. I don't want to delay anymore. I don't want to put it off till next week. I don't need more information. I've already done all that. I need to act on the information I already have. And maybe you need to surround yourself with people that will help you get that done. Wouldn't that be awesome if you joined a life group and they were passionate about what broke your heart and they helped you? You've got to take action. God, thank you for the story of Nehemiah. God, to see what could take place, the potential of what you can do through one person who's willing to know what's broken, count the cost, and then take action. God, each one of us can be a Nehemiah. Each one of us can make a difference in the life of someone else. Help us not to just live for ourselves, but to see our world as you see it, that you've called us to and make a difference. And if God were for working in the wrong area, just let us know. We'll stop. We'll, we'll correct. We'll shift. But if not, we're going to assume that you want us to take action, and we're going to take action until you tell us differently. God, thank you for being a God who is active in our lives, constantly meeting our needs and directing us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.